0: Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke is made possible by our guests and tax-deductible donations from friends and listeners like you. Join us in empowering stroke survivors with stories of wisdom, purpose, connection, and hope at www.beyondstillness.org. This week...
1: On Beyond Stillness Stories After Stroke, we spotlight Mr. Hub Miller from Westfield, Indiana, by way of a cotton farm in Tallahatchie County, Mississippi. Hub suffered his stroke in April of 2021 at the age of 41. Hub shares a variety of unlikely hobbies and communities he has found since his stroke. He highlights the importance of trying new things while cultivating a sense of gratitude. His story is entitled Stroke. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Thank you for joining us for part two, Hub Miller's interview. Hello and welcome to Beyond Stillness. Stroke offers a powerful, life changing shift in perspective. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teachings, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. This radio show, Beyond Stillness, offers an hour of pause for storytelling and reflection. Ultimately, Beyond stillness is a welcoming environment that reveres the moment beyond strokes paralysis. Still moments unite humanity and divinity. I'm your host, Molly Bucola. This week we welcome Hub Miller, who lives in Westfield, Indiana, by way of a cotton farm in Tallahatchie County, Mississippi. Much of his professional life, Hupp served in the agricultural industry, which introduced him to people and cultural experiences from around the world. He always looks forward to time with his kids and loves watching them play softball and baseball. Hupp suffered his stroke in April of 2021 at the age of 41. His story is entitled Stroke. It didn't happen to me, it happened for me. And now we begin with a moment of pause, calling to mind the people in our lives, people we have met throughout our recovery journey, maybe doctors, nurses. Fellow stroke survivors, therapists, and passers by that have somehow become our friends, supporters, and people who inspire us. Today we give thanks for the people who are on this recovery journey with us. We ask for the courage to open ourselves, our minds and our hearts to others. Today, again, we are grateful for the many people in our lives.
2: Hey, Molly, well, thanks for that introduction. It's just so right, everything you said. The other people on this journey with us, we can't do it without them. And let's be grateful. I am every day.
1: I hear gratitude all the time with you, Hub. Thank you for spreading your gratitude.
2: Thank you for recognizing it. I do it every day.
1: At what point in the hospital did you realize life was going to be different after your stroke? And what were your thoughts and emotions at that moment?
2: Well, I remember at a moment that I first remember being able to maybe see and hear, I just kind of thought, holy cow, man, what happened? Was I in a wreck? You know, how did I get here? So that's when I knew, okay, something. To, Serious has happened because my half of my half of my head was gone, and I had a huge bandage wrapped around it, and I couldn't move my left side and I couldn't talk I couldn't swallow I knew there were some serious issues here, so I don't know how many days after this surgery that was, but it was several
1: did you feel like it was going to be permanent at that point?
2: It crossed my mind a few times like I wonder. I wonder if I'll even get out of here. Yeah. Am I going to (laughs) die? I didn't know.
1: What emotions did you have when you realized that you were there in that space?
2: Well, I was sad about my children. Well, I thought about that. I was also thought, I thought to myself internally, okay, look, if you die, you're, you know where you're going. You're going to a good place. And, uh, That'll be that'll be fine. That'll be good. And uh everything's gonna be okay.
1: Wow, you were at peace with that.
2: Yeah, I was. And I mm. and I didn't really know I didn't really know how close to all that I was until I, until six weeks after the event. And I remember uh my neighbor coming to the hospital to see me. Saying, Man, we didn't know if you're gonna bite it or not. So mm. I, oh, I wanted that bad, was it? <laughs> Yes. He said, Yeah. He said, Yeah, what do you, it was that bad. And, uh, and I didn't know any of this until weeks after that the lead surgeon had even told my wife, um, if you want to, uh, you know, go say some goodbyes and get the kids out of school, you know, let's think about it because this is not, not looking so great. Yeah. So I didn't even know that was going on until, until long after. So it was, it was way worse than I thought, maybe, at the time.
1: So when you heard that weeks after, then what did you think about it?
2: Oh, man, I'm glad to be, st- still be here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what did you think about the future looking forward?
2: I thought it would be different. But, I mean, I thought, well, this is just the way it's going to be. I can't, I can't move, and, but I'm here. And then when, that, when the, some of the education started and they told me what had happened, And I started hearing a lot about recovery success stories. I'm a pretty competitive guy. So I thought, okay, I mean, if if you can come back from this, I'm going to come back from it. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to work hard every day. And even my, even one of my, the the guy that took me to the race, Mike, even we have kind of a cul de sac, you know, group text message chain for all of our neighbors. And he said, well, if anybody can actually bounce back from this, he can. Yeah. And that was really special to hear. So I'm going to bounce back. Love it.
1: When you returned home from the hospital, you mentioned being so excited to see your children. Can you tell us a little bit more about the first day's home
2: from the hospital? Sure. And I remember I, we pulled in the driveway. I was just a passenger. And, uh, you know, I took lots of practice getting in and out of the car. That was part of the... uh I was part of o t and p t we practiced getting in and out, so I was well trained to get out and be able to even go up some stairs that I need to go up to get into the into the house. I remember oh and I don't know if I've ever told you or the or the audience that I love Mississippi state university sports, and one of the things that uh we do at Mississippi state is we ring cowbells that's one of our things we do to cheer ring loud bells and we pulled in the driveway a lot of the neighbors and my kids and neighbors kids were in the yard with their car with her with ringing their cowbells
1: no way
2: and it was just it was so great yeah and it was just such a it was just so great oh man it was it was awesome and uh I remember one of my physical therapists her name is Allie and uh I worked out with her several days as I was uh, getting ready to go home, Mississippi State baseball team was in the College World Series. The, the College World Series is in, is in Omaha, Nebraska. And so we were doing walking one day, and I was tired and you know exhausted walking around. They would put weighted weights on my ankles and weighted vest on, and we walk around the hospital. And I was like, "Ellie, I have uh, I have had a day." And she said, "Well, the road to Omaha starts here." <laughs>
1: That's actually one thing you mentioned in your story, that it was really nice that therapists knew you as a person and knew the things that you like to do in life because you could develop this relationship with them and they could accompany on your journey to getting better.
2: It was so fun. And uh, and my doctor, even my doctor in the uh, hospital, she was a uh, huge Notre Dame fan Mm -hmm. and Mississippi State beat the crap out of Notre Dame to go to the World Series <laughs> and she wore a Mississippi State hat one day for me. Oh, she did. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um,
1: That's perfect. Little ways to brighten the day. I love it.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was great.
1: What were some of the other challenges and realizations and adaptations when you returned home? You know,
2: uh, not being able to use my left hand as is- was a challenge, and so I couldn't tie my shoes, can't write, can't t- type, things that we all do every day. I couldn't do anymore, more, and it was hard. So I got some shoes I didn't have to tie, you know, and uh, so that's just what it is now. I got some Velcro shoes like I'm a um, second grader, and I was fine. I, mean, I kind of like them. They look cool, and I uh, Velcro them on them every day creating your own style. I love it. I spent some time trying to uh, learn how to write with my right hand. But uh, I've kind of put that on the back burner lately because I just I wasn't getting very good at it. Mm. But it was kind of fun to practice. I did that. I did it at OT. And then I also uh, we've got some elementary school app. We communicate with our kids, teachers. My youngest son was in second grade when this happened. And so I sent her a message would you whenever you send Clark's uh, handwriting homework, would you send an extra page for me? And so he would come back with two pages of handwriting. And so sometimes we would practice together. that was and that was kind of fun, actually.
1: Oh, that's perfect. I bet I bet he'll remember that forever too.
2: yeah, yeah, and he would he would he would help show me how to space put some more space in the letters because i I had what is referred to as a left slide left side neglect. I wouldn't even look at stuff on the left for a long time. And I would, I was jumbling my letters all together. They weren't spaced out. And when I would eat things with my right hand, I would somehow push it all off the plate to the left. (laughs) I had to be a big pile of rice on the left side of my plate on the tablecloth. Really? Yeah, I did stuff like that. Interesting.
1: In your story, you quoted the Kenny Chesney song, Here and Now, and said, here and now, there ain't no place I'd rather be. Those are bold words, Hub. You've been through a lot. Tell me a little bit about how you arrived to this state of mind.
2: Yeah, well, it it, it sucks. I mean, having a brain injury sucks. There's no question about it. It's pretty hard to find the good things. But I've done that. And good things have happened to me since then. I mean, great relationships, my friends and family. Just, I mean, just the love that I felt, the people that I've met, it's just, it's just nice. There's no place I'd rather be. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard.
1: Yeah. Well, tell me more about your book idea, Again, this is a bold statement, stroke, it didn't happen to me, it happened for me. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah.
2: I read a book, which was my, one of my favorites, called Identity Theft. And it talks a lot about how sometimes our identity, whether it's right or wrong, is tied up into what we do for work. And I was guilty of that. I mean, I, I was the local business leader guy. You know, the the younger guy that's lived around the world and got some good promotions, and he's got a great job. I love it. I mean, that was my identity. And uh, I liked it. I liked that, doing that. And I lost that job, and I couldn't go back to it. And that hurts for a while. But maybe my professional purpose was not to sell herbicides in some huge company. And so... Uh, this had to happen for me to get to the thing I'm supposed to be doing on this earth. And that's part of it. Um, and I, I sort of uh, equate that to even this uh, failed marriage. You know, maybe, maybe now uh, I mean, this just had to happen for everybody to find happiness and move on. So I don't have all the answers, but I still believe that everything that's, that's happening now is right. And uh, one of my one of my good friends, we we call this um, a shaping event, and I and I believe this not just saying it lightly. I believe that now I'm getting a chance to be exactly the person that I'm supposed to be, and uh, it's hard, but it's an opportunity to find out exactly what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to be. So that that's yes. That's where I get the uh, title of my book.
1: Mm, Shaping moments and an opportunity to be your best self. Thank you, Hub. There are hard parts of life. And as you talked about in your story, there's a lot of good in the struggle. There's a lot of good beyond that point, beyond that, hey, beyond stillness. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that you mentioned identity theft. It was written by Deborah Meyerson, who co-founded the organization Stroke Onward. She was a Stanford professor that focused on identity before her stroke. And then after her stroke, she founded this organization with her husband, To ensure that stroke survivors and their supporters have resources to rebuild their identities and rewarding lives. So thank you for mentioning
2: that, Hub. It was just that idea of understanding that you lost something, but that's okay. And then seeing the ability to get back to it. That all happened in that book. Hmm. And uh, I just love that story. I loved it. It's very powerful. It's very powerful.
1: Yeah, I highly recommend that book. Identity Theft by Deborah Meyerson, co-founder of Stroke Onward.
2: And every every chance I get, I recommend it to other survivors.
1: Mm.
2: I was telling my neurologist one day about how much I have enjoyed reading. He said, what's some of your favorite books? And that's on my top of my list. I love it. So great. And that, that book was my favorite i love it why just because i felt i i saw so many parallels to, to the to the way i felt mm. i mean she she put into she put into words on the page what i was feeling
1: mm. once you had words for what you were feeling how did you then use those words
2: well i tried to share them in my groups and with other people at the hospital going through as much as i can and i try to always really believe it Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Thanks.
1: I was actually wondering, it's clear that you're very passionate about your professional career and you're good at what you do. So can you briefly share how you coped with having to put your professional life on hold and then redirect it after your stroke?
2: I, I liked agriculture so much. I continued to read and, uh, maintain my subscriptions to the trade publications and read about what's the newest disease in Florida vegetables and stuff like that. So I kept kept reading and I kept me excited. And one of the things one of the things I did a lot in my job, whether it would be with my team or with customers, I made presentations, discussed, shared new ideas, things. So I started doing that some Even with my groups at therapy, at the clinic, I would make a presentation about new innovations in agriculture and crop protection technology and stuff like that. I got involved with a pharmaceutical company and uh, made some presentations to them about some of my lingering effects from brain injury, talked about how I coped with it. So, you know, continuing to talk and network like I did at work, with my new network, is really what helped me. Hmm.
1: Focusing on what you can do and sharing your talents that that you have. And now you get to grace other fields with your new insight.
2: Different perspective or different lens Hmm. that I'm looking through now. That's beautiful. Thank you.
1: So one of the main points in your story, Hub, was the importance of trying new things a farm boy from Mississippi trying yoga and social media support groups and adaptive sports. Have you always been one to try new things?
2: Um, I think I have, but again, uh, yoga for a farm kid in Mississippi would not be common at all.
1: <laughs> what gave you the motivation and the courage to try these extremely new things, yoga, social media?
2: Well, I, it was suggested to me by therapists that I that I know mm. cared about my recovery, and they wanted me to find things that would help. And so when one of them said, "Hey, you should try this yoga class," I'm in. I don't have to hear anymore. I'm finally up. And when somebody says, "Hey, there's pretty good groups you can find on Facebook. Just search stroke support." Okay, so I did it. Nice. You trusted the professionals. Yeah, and and folks that have been there and done it. Yeah. And uh, because it's hard to do this alone. Do you feel alone? You know, there's times when I do, but uh, it's not a a feeling that I, I have all. It's not persistent.
1: What do you do in those moments?
2: I call a friend. I go for a walk. I read a book.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's important to recognize that we're in those moments and have our tools at hand to pull us out of that because there are people out there for us.
2: Exactly. Yeah, there, there are people out there for us and people that want to help us.
1: Mm.
2: And I want to help other people when I can.
1: I'm sure you do, Hub. You've mentioned so many people in your life and you you have this this aura about you. You have this energy that is open And you always offer bits of connection with me when we're on on the screen together, but I'm sure you do it with each and every one of your therapists and nurses and doctors and friends and Bible group and yoga group, all of them. I think that you really open yourself up, but also reach out to make people feel seen and comfortable. And in those moments that welcomes other people to then open themselves. So hearing you say that sometimes it feels like a lonely journey makes us realize that we all feel lonely at points. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We have tools in those moments. There are people out there for us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Hub. Thank you so much for meeting over the past month or so. It's been really a pleasure to hear you. You have a vibrant personality, but also that you were willing to share the tough stuff and your outlook on life. You always offer gratitude. You see life through this lens that there's always opportunity. You focus on the good. Thank you for sharing that with each of us.
2: You're so welcome. I have loved, loved this. I have loved it, Molly. Just the way that you that you ask these questions and make the comments, I mean, it, just melt, it melts me. I want to give you a hug. Oh, hug!
1: Oh, a digital hug. Here we go.
2: <laughs> digital hug. I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost in tears a couple of times. Just love. it.
1: Well. We're talking about things that do bring tears. We've all been through it. It's a tough journey. (laughs) Yes. And I think with that, with the tough journey, it offers an opportunity for depth in relationship, relationship with ourselves and with each other.
2: No question about it.
1: And now we'll close with a moment of pause. Calling to mind a few lessons that Hub shared with us this week remembering that what we focus on tends to multiply. So again, we take this moment to offer our gratitude. Gratitude for ways that we have overcome challenges on this journey. Gratitude for the small openings and our lives that have become bigger and helped us experience life in a new way. We also ask for the courage to try new things, to see life in a different way more experiences and opportunities that we may have not noticed before. We ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a courageous heart to just try to open ourselves to new people, to new places, to new hopes, and to new ways of life. And we give thanks. Thank you for devoting time and space to listen to Part 2, Hub Miller's Interview. For the full story, please listen to Part 1, Hub Miller's Story. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teachings, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. In this episode of Beyond Stillness, guest Hub Miller offered his story entitled Stroke. It didn't happen to me, it happened for me. He shared a variety of unlikely experiences he has tried since the stroke and places he has found community on his recovery journey. He also emphasized the importance of gratitude. If you enjoyed this moment of pause for storytelling and reflection, please like share, or subscribe to the Beyond Stillness Stories After Stroke podcast. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, as part of the stroke community, you are more than supportive. You are inspirational.
0: If you're a part of the stroke community and have a story you'd like to share on the show, please contact us, email M-O-L-L-Y at beyondstillness.org. Beyond Stillness. Stories After Stroke is made possible by our guests and tax-deductible donations from friends and listeners like you. Join us in empowering stroke survivors with stories of wisdom, purpose, connection, and hope at www.beyondstillness.org. Another way to support is to like, share, or subscribe to our weekly show. Again, Thank you for devoting time and space for this week's episode of Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke.